Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of the Cherry Becker Tax Beat Podcast. Today we are talking about the unpleasant tax costs of cancellation of debt transactions, sometimes called COD transactions in abbreviation. Uh, with interest rates rising and commercial space vacancy rising, we are seeing more lenders taking uh, action to cut their losses and engaging in conversations uh, with their real estate clients in particular. So. Joining today in our conversation is a slew of people from Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, first, I uh, have Mark Cooter, who is the head of our real estate and construction industry practice. Hello, Mark. How's it going? Good. Glad to be here. Uh, also, Laura Turner, also in a partner in our Greenville office, specializing in real estate as well. Hello, Laura. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I have to admit, I always thought a murder podcast would be the first podcast I would be on, but just as excited to be here today, and I'm sure it'll be just as riveting for listeners. Um, well, you have teammates in Greenville to explore that, those options for. I'll just Great. leave it at that. All right. And as always, uh, uh, joining me is Miss Sarah McGregor. Uh, so Sarah, how's life treating you these days? Oh. Uh, life is good. Uh, I am not in Greenville today. I'm up in the mountains of North Carolina where it's cool and uh, breezy and pleasant for this during this hot summer. And you're outside of uh, arm's length of Laura, too. That is the That's right. Benefit. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Very good. Very good. So let's hit it. So, uh, so again, just a little background on this topic. Certain sectors of commercial real estate and operating businesses are dealing with lenders who are concerned about the loans they have made, um, higher interest rates, uh, commercial space, less need, declines in value, you know, significant bank failures. All of these are factors that have been playing into this. Um, on top of that, we're seeing foreclosures, short sales, conversions to equity. So um, tax law can be very complicated in this area. So we're going to get into some of those. So let's just jump into it, Mark. What's the uh, the the very basics of the basics. What is cancellation of debt, and when are the most common occurrences? Sure. So, cancel of debt. Uh, cancellation of debt is typically seen when a borrower is relieved by of a liability from a lender, and uh, basically you're going to have that situation when you might have uh, the liabilities in excess of what that uh, what the asset underlying asset is worth. Um, and the lender is providing relief um, to that borrower. It can be provided in different circumstances. So you might see just an outright discharge uh, where the lender in uh, negotiation for a refinance, et cetera, might just reduce the, the loan at that point in time, but the uh, borrower continues to own the asset. Uh, you might see it in, a, in an asset foreclosure, uh, which is uh, would happen when the asset is actually given up to the lender. Um, there might be a, a modification of debt, which is might be another form of outright discharge of the debt, uh, or there might be uh, an issue in exchange for the debt or a purchase of the debt at a discount by another borrower. So there can be several instances where the cancel cancellation of debt arises, but it's primarily when a borrower is relieved from some portion of a liability. So, Laura, that sounds uh, pretty awful for uh, a business or a borrower who's in trouble financially, but the 
tax code does provide a few exceptions from recognizing this kind of income. Yeah, so the code section we're talking about here is really 108, and that would be COD that's excluded from gross income. So some of the common exclusions that you would see is is the first one is Title 11 bankruptcy, which is not the same as Michael Scott would have expected, where you can just stand there and claim I declare bankruptcy for all the office <laughs> fans out there. It's more than that. But that's that's one of the most common things that you might see. And also insolvency, which is the taxpayer has excess liabilities over the fair market value of assets. Another common one is purchase money debt reduction, which is where you have debt of the purchaser to the seller, and that is actually a reduction to the purchase price. And then uh, the last one we wanted to mention was qualified real property debt, which is basically what it sounds like. It, it's debt related to real property, and in that situation, you would adjust the basis of the real property. So some of these are really timing issues more than just income that disappears. But those are some of the common exclusions you would see. And uh, this this relief from the income recognition through the through Section 108 is not always put on the business that actually does the is the borrower in this situation. Right. So depending on the kind of entity that we're talking about would adjust the treatment. So in a C corp, obviously the corp is treated as the taxpayer. But an S-Corp has a more unique situation where the exclusions and attribute reductions you would be looking at are actually applied at the S-Corp level, although the COD income would then pass through to the S-Corp shareholders. In a partnership, the income exclusion and attribute reduction is actually applied at the partner level, and that COD income would obviously then also pass through to those partners. And I'll point out, I think that's an important piece as it relates to partnerships, just because if you've got an insolvency exclusion, you've got to look at the partnership level. You can't look at the entity level. Uh, and then also if that COD is passed out to the partners, that might lead to some planning opportunities uh, that we'll discuss later. So, Mark, let's just make a uh, follow up clarification here. We're talking about attribute reduction. So uh, this goes into the uh, kind of issue that this COD exclusion is not like a totally uh, free exclusion, so to speak. So uh, explain that in a little more detail. Sure. So in most cases, what we're talking about when when we say uh, it's it's there's an exclusion event is we're talking about income being deferred and the income is deferred by reducing certain tax attributes inside or outside the entity. So inside the entity, uh, such as a C Corp, you might have see a reduction in net operating losses, a reduction in carry forward credits. Um, maybe a reduction in capital losses that are carried forward um, and, and in both cases, both for maybe a partnership or a C corporation or S corporation, you also might see a reduction in the basis of property or passive activity loss carryovers. Um, so there's several things that, that could be looked at that might be reduced, but you're generally going to look at reducing certain tax attributes before something is just totally uh, forgiven from a tax standpoint. So, so, so once you run is, out of those attributes, yeah. the remaining COD income could be just go away, but uh, you do have to look at other attributes uh, that the IRS expects you. It's sort of a layered cake approach. 
So income is really just deferred until a later time when you would normally have used these other attributes, maybe through depreciation of an asset or taking a net operating loss deduction. So you will pick up the income later, maybe when you have when the entity or the business is generating some income again. Correct. Or when the asset is actually sold and you've got cash from a sale to help offset some of the uh, the tax costs at that point. Uh, so that's a, that is definitely an important distinguishment when you're looking at this uh, exclusion. All right. So let's, uh, Laura, let's jump to one other uh, kind of technical tax issue with all of this, but very important for people to at least be aware of. Um, can you talk about the difference between a foreclosure or short sale versus debt modifications or outright discharges? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll I'll take it in pieces. The the first part was foreclosures and short sales. So that is when the property is no longer in your possession. The first one would be involuntary and the second one would be voluntary. So you may have situations there where you would have COD, but as we mentioned before, if those other exclusions would apply, that would be done after the transaction took place. Debt modification is an area with a lot of complexities and can also create COD if the modification is deemed significant. We're not going to get into a lot of those details today, but the regs provide some bright line tests if it's something that you're involved with and you're looking at a modification. An outright discharge would be where you would keep possession of the property, but you would have some type of implication from the fact that the debt was forgiven. There are different treatments and nuances if the debt is recourse versus non-recourse. Recourse can create COD income versus non-recourse. That can still create income, but it typically would not be considered COD income. So, Mark, um, frequently there is going to be a guarantor that signs on to a loan uh, if it is, and that makes it recourse to this other guarantor. What do you see as the role of in tax exposure for an individual who might have uh, signed a guarantee on a loan? So as a guarantor, you obviously might have to put in more money um, to help settle uh, an obligation when uh, the lender has approached the the debtor on uh, on trying to settle up a loan and, and trying to uh, solve for um, what's going to be owed to that that lender. Um, that is going to be looked at when that guarantor makes whole uh, for their portion of the loan under the guarantee. That's going to be looked at as a capital investment. And so that guarantor would be able to take a capital loss um, on that on that uh, contribution to the uh, to the loan uh, limits. The capital loss limits would apply. So if uh, that was done at the same time where there was not another capital gain, the capital losses could be limited to three thousand up to three thousand dollars a year uh, until you've used up that capital loss. So it would continue to carry forward until it's used up. Uh, generally, if that guarantor is paying it at the time of a short sale or foreclosure or some of the other issues Laura's brought up, uh, there's also going to be uh, the transaction going on for the sale, which might be generating uh, some sort of capital gain to help offset this offset by that capital loss if the guarantor is also a partner in the partnership or a partner in the uh, or shareholder in the uh, the transaction. 
so that would have to be looked at and planned for um, when you're when you're dealing with that. All right, so let's move to um, final questions slash final answers and comments. So we'll start with you, Laura. What planning ideas are you recommending to clients who are facing uh, these challenges of uh, conversations with uh, foreclosures and debt modifications and such with their lenders? My biggest piece of advice is to include your tax advisor early on in the process rather than waiting until after a decision has been made to fully understand your options and potential tax consequences. So the earlier we can get involved, we can be a partner with you and help you make that decision rather than kind of explaining to you the tax consequence and not being able to help you through that process. All right, Mark. What, what do you have to add? Absolutely. I would second what Laura's mentioned. Uh, there could be things in that negotiation from a tax standpoint that we're able to provide you to give you a much better outcome uh, than if you tell us the day after. Um, so certainly talking to your tax advisor beforehand is a good, good idea. And uh, as we mentioned before, there's different rules for the different types of entities that you may have uh, this loan um, uh, sitting in. So a partnership um, also may have some advantages to the partners in that partnership if there's cancellation of debt income that you would need to understand before you pass that out to them so you can fully disclose to the partners what they should be individually thinking about as well. So there's planning both on the front end with a lender as well as planning on communication with your investors about what's about to happen and what their individual options may be. Right. So uh, and I'm going to go next. Uh, I'll just add. I have been involved in transactions where there are with enough lead time, you can move the forgiveness uh, by transfer or, or selling notes around parties. Uh, anyway, it's not always able to work, but sometimes you have some some control over where the forgiveness is triggered to get the best tax results. All right, Sarah, you got any final comments? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about the borrower who's facing uh, these challenges, but I would say it also um, this kind of environment creates some opportunities for the short sale buyers. Uh, and there may be some some bargains out there uh, or some some investment opportunities for those that are, have cash uh, to help out these borrowers that are in a, that are in a difficult position uh, with their lenders. Okay, uh, that's a wrap on today's discussion, uh, talking about cancellation of debt income. Thank you for listening in. A quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your specific tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. Uh, This concludes today's podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Laura and Mark. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.